Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to the 28th episode of the Morning Round Trip Podcast. My name is Drew Frank, joined once again by my co-host, Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And this morning on August 7th, we've got a pretty slow news day. There are no new positive cases for COVID, which is great. There are no canceled baseball games tonight, which is awesome. And no major new injuries to report on. So no news, for the most part, is good news. And before we jump right into the games, the only thing that you've got to know is that the Marlins headline the news still in first place, 6-1 and one on a five-game winning streak. Most people can celebrate these Marlins. Just, I, I know personally, I'm, I'm glad to see that. This is very 2020, isn't it? On a day where we have no news to report, no positive COVID cases, no major injuries, nothing like that. Our top story is that the Marlins lead the NL East in win percentage. <laughs> it's weird, man. It's so, so weird. But I mean, hey, good for Miami. It's about time. Lead the whole MLB in win percentage, actually, if we're getting specific with Ooh, it. <laughs> wow. But we had some good baseball games last night, so we'll jump right into that one. And an absolute massacre in Cleveland. This uh, this game finished 13-0 as the Indians knocked off the Reds. But it wasn't as one-sided as it might seem. And I know that's tough to say when it's 13-0. But it was close until the 7th. They put up 10 runs in the 7th. So before that, it was close, and we saw good pitching, believe it or not, to start. Obviously, the shutouts meant the Indians were pitching quite well, and that started with Carlos Carrasco. Only two players in this Reds lineup recorded hits. Shogo Akiyama went one for four. Winker went two for four. Rest of the team, 0 for 21. You contrast that against the Indians, where every single starter in the lineup both reached base and scored at least one run. You can see where things really were different here, but like I said, it wasn't it wasn't a landslide from the start. Luis Castillo looked pretty good to start. I mean, it's tough to say it was a great start because he did surrender three earned in only five innings and allowed eight base runners in that span. But it's hard to say it's an awful start because he was only one inning away from getting that quality start. And he did strike out nine in only five innings. So I guess you'd say a little bit of a mixed bag from Luis Castillo in this one. Yeah, and Jose Ramirez from the Cleveland Indians touched him up, was able to crank one out for one of two home runs for him on the day. He had one from both sides of the plate, so that's an interesting little factoid for the irrelevant history folk out there. Carlos Carrasco in this one, for me, was really impressive and was probably the main reason that the Cleveland Indians were able to take a lead as deep as they did before things exploded in the seventh inning. He goes six innings, no runs allowed, so the quality start, that's great for the analytics people. He does walk four, but he strikes out eight, and his changeup was the difference maker here because a couple of times we saw him throw it below the zone, and he got a couple of favorable calls from home plate umpire Jerry Meals, but that's not to take away from how good he was working his changeup off of his fastball, and he worked in a couple of breaking balls as well, and he struck out Nick Castellanos on a really nice-looking slider outside of the zone. You mentioned that seventh inning, big-time offensive output here from the Cleveland Indians. 14 batters come up to the plate. Jose Ramirez hits his second home run of the game from the other side of the plate, 
And Jose Ramirez in this one caps himself off with a triple, goes three for five with four RBIs. So a definite welcome sight for Indians fans uh, after Jose Ramirez, a guy who had a really tough start to the year last year. He comes out and has a really strong game in this one against the cross-state rivals in the Cincinnati Reds. And a little bit of Twitter banter going on between the two teams as before Game 2, Cincinnati tweeted, Ah, Cleveland, so nice. LeBron left it twice. And Cleveland responded after this game with, Ah, Cincinnati, so nice. We beat them thrice. So it's uh, really nice to see a little bit of Twitter banter there. And unfortunately, we did miss Trevor Bauer's triumphant return to progressive field. We missed him, unfortunately. And even though in these four games, he was the one starter we didn't get to see go to the hill for the Reds. So that's a little bit unfortunate, but hey, a great series nonetheless. Congratulations to Cleveland for being the winners of the Ohio Cup. Yeah, I'm sure Terry Francona and Carlos Carrasco like seeing all those runs scored in the seventh in terms of run support and really icing the game, securing his win. But I don't think there's anyone more happy to see that than whoever runs the Cleveland Indians Twitter account because I I thought that was a good tweet by the Reds earlier in the week. And when you put up a 10 spot and shut out the Reds in the final game, you really give the Indians Twitter all the ammunition you need to really go whatever direction they want with the clap back. Another game we looked at on the East Coast was between two young pitchers in Nate Pearson and Tuki Toussaint. And Atlanta takes this game 4-3, to three, but really it wasn't necessarily the starting pitchers that decided this one as it went late in the game and was eventually walked off. But the two young pitchers both looked pretty good. I thought Tuki Dusan actually looked better than Pearson, which surprised me. Pearson went five innings, only allowed two hits, but one of them was a two-run shot to Freddie Freeman. So he finishes with three runs allowed, all three earned. Walked three, struck out five. If you look at the home run he allowed to Freeman, I thought it was a pretty good pitch. And it was a slider in on the in off the plate just a little bit, in on his hands, breaking into the lefty Freeman. Thought it might have jammed him, but he got enough power on it to just take it out of the park. That was really the big hit that attacked Pearson early as he allowed two runs in the bottom of the first. And although Tuki Toussaint did allow three runs to tie it up, in the game that was 4-3, that two-run shot in the first inning really went a long way in deciding this one. Yeah, and definitely. And I think Tuki Toussaint in his last two starts has really impressed a lot of people, myself included. In this one, he goes six and two-thirds, gets himself the quality start, allowing only three runs on four hits. Didn't walk anybody, and he struck out nine, which is a career high for him. So a welcome sight to see for Braves fans who have really had some rough luck as of late with their rotation and a whole lot of question marks that need to be answered. And Tuki Toussaint's performance in this one is going to go a long way in quelling some of the doubt that people have about this Atlanta Braves team. You mentioned Nate Pearson, I thought, for his second ever big league start. Nothing awful here in this uh, in this start for him, I thought. He had all of his pitches working in this one, was able to mix in the curveball and the changeup a little bit more than we saw in his first start, which is always good for him. And a bit of a note, Danny Jansen caught him in his first game back in Washington, 
and Reese McGuire catches him in this one. So not sure if there's anything of substance there, but... What I think's interesting there is you saw him go the different pitches because he still used the same amount of fastballs, but Danny Jansen called for a lot more sliders. And last night we saw a lot more change-ups. We saw two change-ups in his first start, nine in his last start just yesterday on about the same amount of pitches. So the, the change-up percentage went way up and even through more curveballs. So I don't know if that's maybe part of the difference between Jansen and McGuire or maybe just the game calling and pitch selection? Yeah, when you have two very young defensively oriented catchers and Charlie Montoyo's talked at length about how he likes the both of them uh, almost equally and obviously Danny Jansen's a little bit more inclined to garner the fanfare. Obviously, he's going to be the guy that gets most of the starts, but it's interesting to see that Charlie Montoya is trying to work in Reese McGuire as uh, Nate Pearson's battery mate early on. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Tuki Yusan is very impressive as well. Nine strikeouts jumps out to me. The curveball was working for him. Seventh inning is where things kind of slipped away. He was perfect through three. Fourth inning, he allows a leadoff home run to Bichette, but then locks right back in and didn't run into trouble until the seventh inning where he got the first two outs, allowed a run to make it 3-2, and then was pulled with the tying run on second base. It only took two pitches till Tyler Madzek, the reliever, allowed an RBI single to blow the lead and take Toussaint out of in line for a win. This game ends up going all the way to the bottom of the ninth, still tied, and Nick Markakis, after opting out, opting back in, this is his second game back, his first starting game back, and only on his fifth at-bat of the season, but he jumps on a first-pitch curveball from Wilmer Font, walks it off, launches a solo shot over the right-field wall. A pitch I thought was pretty good. I mean, it was below the zone, breaking ball in towards the lefty Marcakis, but he was clearly sitting on it, and he walks off Wilmer Font to end this one in Atlanta. Now, make no mistake, Nick Markakis is not going to average a home run every five at-bats. But, <laughs> man, really showed his veteran presence in this at-bat, I thought. Was able to take a, a breaking ball low and in, like you said. It was obvious that he was sitting on it. But, man, he pumped this thing over the right field wall. He got every stitch of this baseball. I was really surprised that on a pitch at that low and in, Nick Markakis was able to turn on it that quickly and, and drive it out of the ballpark for a walk-off. Out West, our third game we featured last night, we both predicted Arizona, and thanks to Cole Calhoun, both of our predictions were saved. This game was very close, went right down to the wire, and ended up being decided by the bullpens. The two starters both looked good for different reasons. Brandon Belak went five innings without allowing a run. Now, this was his first career MLB start. He debuted a few weeks ago as a reliever, but he's only thrown five and a third in relief this, this season and his entire MLB career so far. So going five innings of two-hit ball in his first career start in a very hitters-friendly park, might I add. Great start from him. Zach Allen, a very different pitcher. Well, he did allow a run and didn't have the same shutout as Belak. He struck out six to Belak's one. Ultimately, Gallon went six innings, two earned runs, so he picked up the quality start. Six hits surrendered, but the first run he allowed was kind of tough to watch, where he you almost feel like he doesn't deserve it, and this isn't something that'll be reflected in stats or BABIP or anything at all. But two out, runner on third, game still scoreless, ground ball hit to third base, and should have been the third out, but it kicks straight up off of the third base bag, something you don't see all that often. 
As a result, the batter's safe, the runner comes in to score, and Gallon's charged with the first earned run. Pretty tough break for him, but what are you going to do? The second run he surrenders is on the home run from Altuve, so I guess you could say he earned that one a little more. But it didn't end up mattering because this game went to the bullpens and Arizona's just well outclassed Houston's. And I think we've talked about this earlier in the podcast that this Houston bullpen is going to have to answer some questions as we move forward in the season as the big closer Roberto Osuna has some Tommy John concerns that as of right now have not been cleared up. It's not announced if he's going to need surgery or not. And if he does end up needing surgery, then that's him done for the year. And this Astros bullpen is going to have to figure out where they're getting their innings from. They go three innings in this one, but they allow nine hits and five earned runs. They walk two and only strike out two. Uh, And they ended up being the reason that the Arizona Diamondbacks were able to take the win in extra innings. You contrast that with Arizona's bullpen, who goes the same number of innings, but only allows two hits and two earned runs while striking out one. Definitely a welcome sight to see for Astros fans as Jose Altuve goes three for four with the home run, like you mentioned. Working that average up to the Mendoza line, he's now at 192 so far on the year, so definitely a welcome sight for them. It was a Marte parte as those boys went six for 10. Starling Marte gets two doubles and scores a run. He's now up at 359 for his average, and Cattell Marte is hitting 346. So, Uh, It's definitely a welcome sight to see after the acquisition of Starling Marte for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, Cole Calhoun was able to walk this thing off with a line drive that tucked itself onto the left side of the right field foul line. Uh, And Cole Calhoun, again, rips one down the right field line and is able to produce something big for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're able to take this one 5-4 with a socially distanced walk-off celebration (laughs) and you predicted this one correct I mean we both did but I predicted it would be Zach Gallon that'd be the difference maker he kind of stayed even with Delac so not quite true you knew it would be Astros bullpen that would end up blowing it so props on your prediction for that one because that ended up being the case hate to say I told you so but actually wait no I don't I told you so Yeah, congrats. You are now one for your last six predictions, so great Hell job yeah, with baby, that. Hell yeah, baby, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Ryan Presley came in for the ninth, didn't get a single batter out, ended up giving up the three runs. Not a great luck from him. Other quick note is that George Springer was pulled from the game. Turns out he has a strained wrist. X-rays came back negative last night, but Dusty Baker says he's expected to be out for a few days. So that's someone to keep an eye on, but negative x-rays, always a good sign. Kind of alluded to it earlier, Cole Calhoun, loving that right field line, given an inside-the-park home run two nights ago, and no one probably would have thought that that wasn't the only inside-the-parker we would see this week. Last night, Christian Yelich hit an inside-the-park home run Thanks to the netting at guaranteed right field, I guess you would say. Because Aloy Jimenez goes to chase a fly ball that drops in, loses his footing a little bit, and tumbles into the netting of the stands and gets caught up in the seats. By the time he gets out, gets the ball, throws it in, Yelich able to score on an inside-the-park home run. Not a play that you, you see all that often. We also saw a truer home run to that same left field corner. This time in T-Mobile Park, it was Shohei Otani who hit it out. And a good sight to see because that was his first home run in his first at-bat since being diagnosed with his flexor mass injury. Clearly, we expected to see him hitting, but it's good to see that that's not going to bog his swing down too much. 
beautiful Otani swing, slicing it the other way, as you've seen him do so many times. And in that game, he wasn't even the headliner. It was Dylan Bundy. Complete game, goes nine innings with just one run allowed, strikes out 10 without walking a single batter. He looked very good. He had all his pitches working, 5Ks with the fastball, one with the changeup, four with the slider, and not the first time we've seen him dominate the Mariners before. He had a complete game shutout against them back in 2017, but this 2020 Dylan Bundy almost looks like a whole other beast. Definitely, and this is a welcome sight to see for the Angels as, dare I say, they might have found their new ace in Dylan Bundy. Strong performance in this one, and he's built off of a a pretty strong start to his season so far. This is a welcome sight for Angels fans, no doubt. In other news, we saw both 10-2 teams lose as the Twins dropped to the Pirates, surprisingly, and the Cubs were clobbered by the Royals. Two games I wouldn't have predicted properly, but... Turns out that those 10-2 teams are not invincible. Now 10-3, we'll see the Cubs take on the Cardinals tonight as Leicester visits Ponce de Leon at 8.15 Eastern. Who do you have in this one? Cubs, all day. St. Louis is boring. They play a boring brand of baseball. They've only played five games so far this year, and I expect their record to move to 2-4, and four, going Cubs over Redbirds. I'll take the Cardinals just because we saw the Phillies come out hot and the Marlins come out hot after sitting for so long. Maybe we see it again. Maybe I wasn't quite right in saying the Phillies came out hot, but taking one of the three against the Yankees is still above my expectations. So, hey, maybe maybe that's a stretch, but we'll see. I think the Cardinals take this one. Don't like the matchup on the mound, necessarily. I do think Leicester will have a better start, but we've seen that Cubs bullpen struggle. So I'll say they leave the door open for the Cardinals. Another game is going to involve the Yankees I just mentioned, as Blake Snell takes on Masahiro Tanaka, two guys that had a little bit of a later start to their summer camp. Snell took some extra time to ramp up, and Tanaka missed a good chunk of summer camp. So two aces that aren't quite on their A game right now. I think this game will be interesting. I think Tampa takes it because they need a win. I mean, New York 9-3, Tampa's only 5-7. This is definitely going to be a game where we see how much Blake Snell can affect this Rays team. So far on the year, he's 0-0 with a 540 ERA, and I'm going to say that Blake Snell impresses here, and I think he manages to work his way deep into the ballgame and give this Rays team a win. Last game to look at tonight's out west at 9.10 p.m. The 6-6 six six Houston Astros take on the division-leading Oakland A's at 9-4. They've built up a bit of a lead. Tonight it's Zach Granke against Bassett. I think I'm going to take Granke in this one, but it should be a great one to watch in terms of AL West implications. Well, the Oakland A's have won six in a row, and nine of their wins on the season have come against AL West opponents. And if you're counting at home, that's every single win they have this year. I think they moved to 10-4 and four off the back of another strong performance, solidifying their spot atop the AL West. And if you've got them tonight potentially moving to their 10th win on the season, do you think they maintain that pace for the rest of the season? Do you have them winning that division, or do you have Houston still? I think this division hinges on Houston's bullpen. If they can figure out a solution there and find an arm that is really consistent out of the bullpen, I think their bats are strong enough to power them back to the top of the AL West. If they don't find a solution in that bullpen, then I think Oakland takes it, but Houston will probably pull in right behind them. And we've talked about Bundy earlier. We know how strong the AL Central is. 
Do you think we see a third playoff team out of this West? It's going to be tough to say. I'm not sure if the AL West produces a third playoff team as this expanded playoff format is going to give a lot of extra teams the chance to really be playing some meaningful games late into the season. But I don't think the AL West is able to produce three playoff teams this season. That's all the time we've got for today. You can find the show on Twitter at Trip Morning. You can find us on Instagram at Morning Round Trip. And we'll be right back here tomorrow morning in your podcast feed every single day, 20 minutes or less. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we hope to see you again tomorrow. For Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, have a great day.